Welcome to the Encounter Community Church Podcast, where we take God's Word and look at how we can utilize, practically apply it, and implement it into our lives. Welcome back to the Encounter Community Church Podcast. My name is Ken Ballard Jr., and I am the pastor here at Encounter. And I want to start the podcast today by sharing two different stories, and I'm going to share what they have in common but what they have in common might surprise you. So here's the first one. I used to be a campus leader at El Camino College. So we decided to do a camping trip. And we, I, I can't remember where it was. It was some campground local. It might have been Leo Carrillo State Beach. It was one of those. It was something close, though. And so we, we, we get there. We're, we're setting up. We're, we're having a great time. And then later on in the evening, I'm walking with a friend and we're walking through and we're just kind of talking about life. And then all of a sudden, this person jumps from behind the bush with a scream mask on. And for those of you that may not know what a scream mask is, scream is a movie that was filmed, I want to say in the 90s. And the person had this mask on. It's like a ghost mask kind of thing. And so the person jumps from behind a bush with the scream mask on going, Roar! but it was, a, it was much louder than that. And I reacted and my reaction was to kind of throw a punch and hit the person kind of hard. And they fall on the ground and they're like, and then it goes, they go, oh, oh. And I realized, oh my goodness, I just popped a girl in the face. But she's wearing a screen mask, jumping from behind a bush. So you get what you get. I mean, that was just the reaction that I had. It just freaked me out. And so that's how I responded. Usually there's flight, fight, or freeze. And I'll be honest, typically I'm a freeze person but not in that instance. And maybe because I was with someone and wanting to protect them, that that's what I did. I threw a punch. And I still kind of regret that to this day. And some people have made me feel better by saying, well, if they hadn't jumped out from behind the bush, you never would have thrown the punch, which is, which is, which is true. But you still feel bad in some ways. I still feel guilty. Now, here's the second story. You know, with COVID hitting, it really has been a challenge for, for churches. And, and one of the places where you see that challenge is in the church's finances. Because when you have people that are still hesitant to return, which I understand. I mean, there, there's no judgment there. I totally understand why people would be hesitant to return because it's not like COVID has ended. So, so when that happens, Unfortunately, the finances of the church are affected. And, and, and we went through a place where in November, I was really, really honestly stressed out about what's going to happen to Encounter. And, and so I did. I, I found myself praying about it a lot. I also found myself imagining worst case scenarios about it, I found myself in this place where 
I, I really had to work through how much do I really trust God to take care of the circumstance that we find ourselves in financially? And also beginning to look at what are other solutions and other ways that we can maybe try to work this out uh, so that the needs of the church are taken care of. But, but these were things that I, I found myself wrestling with and struggling with and being stressed out about. And, and I know that as a pastor, I, I'm not alone in this. A lot of churches have gone through this. Unfortunately, through COVID, some churches, quite a few churches, have closed because of COVID and the, the, the people that they've lost. So I am so grateful to God that we are still able to be here, still able to make a difference, still able to invest in the lives of others, still looking at how as a church can we start to reach out to community. And, and it is, it's right now, it is a difficult time to grow a church. <laughs> I mean, it, it, it really is, because not only do we have COVID, but the culture has changed. So trying to figure out how to navigate that and figure all of that out, it was pretty stressful. Now, you may be wondering, well, well Ken, that's great, but what do those two stories have in common? One, you punched someone. <laughs> and then the other, you just talked about normal, everyday, stressful stuff that you go through. But I'm telling you, mentally, it, it really was a challenge. And in some ways, it still is. And so I'll tell you, I'll, I'll tell you what the two stories have in common. And it's simply this. They're both driven by the same part of our brains. See, there's this part of your brain called the amygdala. And basically what the amygdala is responsible for is the adrenaline that flows through your body. Now there are times where the amygdala is a good thing. For example, although I punched the girl, but that's when the amygdala actually was a good thing because it told me danger, danger, protect, protect, danger. And, and it may kick in for you if, if you're out and you're walking on a trail and all of a sudden you see a snake on the trail, your amygdala kicks in and goes, whoa, buddy, watch out for that snake. It could be poisonous. You gonna die, <laughs> you know? And so your amygdala kicks in and you get away from the snake as far as you can as possible. The amygdala is responsible for the reaction element. So when there is something that we are afraid of, when there's something that we are concerned about, when there's something that we're overwhelmed by, what the amygdala does is it releases the adrenaline into your system that causes you to react or to move. Now here's the thing, this amygdala has no way to filter out what is an extreme danger and also what is you just being stressed out, nervous, or afraid of your circumstance. It has no way to characterize or filter those two out. And so what it will do is it will pump that adrenaline into your system when you are afraid and you're trying to fight for your life, or it will pump that adrenaline into your system when you are afraid and not sure how you're gonna pay your bills. It will pump that adrenaline into your system when someone holds a gun to you and you react and you respond 
it'll pump that same adrenaline into your system when you get a message from your boss saying, please come see me. And you know that conversation may not go well. Now, the beautiful thing in the way that God has created our brain is we do have a filter that we're able to utilize that then can tell the amygdala whether to continue to produce adrenaline or whether to stop producing adrenaline. And that part of your brain is called the prefrontal cortex. And that's the logic center of your brain. So you're able to look at a circumstance and know, for example, with the girl, when that situation happened and I saw her, I heard her response immediately, I knew that I was no longer in danger. So what happened is my prefrontal cortex told my amygdala, we no longer need a drilling in right now. It's just a person playing a prank. You're okay. So I was able to stop it. Now what happens with our prefrontal cortex though, is it's the logic center of the brain. However, that logic center of the brain can be warped. It can be misaligned so that if that is misaligned, then what happens is it can keep the amygdala firing that adrenaline. And the result of that is we stay in a mode where our bodies are stressed out. That's why, for example, if you're having chest pains, sometimes one of the first things they'll ask you is, are you stressed out? And the reason why you're having chest pains is because you're so stressed out and all you're thinking about in your prefrontal cortex has not told your amygdala to stop producing adrenaline because you're so focused on what it is that you're stressed out about. So it keeps pushing it through, keeps pushing it through. That adrenaline then affects your heart and it can create chest pains. That's why they'll tell you, like if you have a, if you have a heart problem, they'll, they will encourage you to try to eliminate as much stress from your life as possible so that your prefrontal cortex is not sending adrenaline by your amygdala through your system. So you can kind of see how that works there. Now, we're going to dig into this a little bit more because this is actually our last week that we are doing of this series called Winning the War in Your Mind. And I really do hope that you have been able to be a part of our messages and our podcasts. And for those of you that are listening for the first time, just wanted to let you know that what we do is we try to allow our podcast and our messages to work together so that for the week, you actually have a complete thought from the blending of those two things together for the week. So last Sunday, Stan, our associate pastor, did the message, and I'll, I'll tell you, it was one of his best. So I, I just want to encourage you, if you haven't had a chance to watch the live stream replay, go back and watch that. Uh, what we've done, which I think is really uh, helpful, is if you go back and if you watch it on YouTube, we've time-stamped the description. So if you look in the description, if you, just, if you want to skip the announcements and the songs, then you can just click the link in the description and it will take you right to where the message begins. So it makes it that much easier. But I will say it was, it really was, it was one of his best. And I, and I want to encourage you, if you haven't had a chance to see it, please go back and watch it. And then what we're doing is now we're completing that thought for the week. And his message was on calm my anxious mind. And he talked about the amygdala and he talked about the prefrontal cortex, but I wanted to dig into this a little bit more. 
Because here's what I want us to understand. What happens when we allow ourselves to believe a certain lie? And I love this. It's the lies that we believe can alter the logic of our prefrontal cortex. Let me say it again. The lies that we believe can alter the logic of our prefrontal cortex. And I'm going to give you an example. And actually, here's one that you can find in scripture. So Matthew chapter 25, there's a story of a landowner that's getting ready to go away on a trip. And so what he does is he picks three people that works for him. And he gives them each financial responsibilities to manage until he comes back. So to one guy, he gives five bags of silver. To another guy, he gives two bags. And to another guy, he gives one bag. And then he goes away. And he wants them to manage it till he comes back. And so in this part of the story is when he has returned. And so I just want to kind of pick up from there. It says in verse 19, after a long time, their master returned from his trip and called them to give an account of how they used his money. The servant to whom he had trusted five bags of silver came forward with five more and said, Master, you gave me five bags of silver to invest. I have earned five more. The master was full of praise. Well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling this small amount so now I will give you more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. The servant who had received two bags of silver came forward and said, Master, you gave me two bags of silver to invest, and I have earned two more. The master said, Well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling this small amount. So now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. Verse 24. Then the servant with one bag of silver came and said, Master, I knew you were a harsh man. <laughs> so wait a minute. Do you already see the difference there? Do you see the difference in their response in the way that they could have handled it? They all had the same master. But you can already begin to see that what has happened is this servant's prefrontal cortex, the logic has been altered. The master knew what he could handle, gave him exactly what he could handle. And so here's what, but here's how he responded. Master, I knew you were a harsh man, harvesting crops you didn't plant and gathering crops you didn't cultivate. I was afraid I would lose your money. So I hid it in the earth. Look, here's your money back. Verse 26, but the master replied, you wicked and lazy servant. If you knew I harvested crops I didn't plant and gathered crops I didn't cultivate, why didn't you deposit my money in the bank? At least I could have gotten some interest on it. So as you look at this, basically what's happened is this servant had a warped view of the master. And based upon that warped view, rather than taking risks, rather than at least attempting. And I think the master would have been fine if the servant would have said, Master, I tried, I lost half, and here's how it was lost, but, but I, really, I really gave it effort. But what happens is with our prefrontal cortex, we tend to twist things. And so maybe in his mind, according to even, well, according to what he said here, I knew you were a harsh man. I knew you did these things. I knew that this is the way that you were. So based upon that, 
I decided to manage your money this way or to not manage your money this way. Now, obviously, we could see that maybe there's something different about this master because what the master did was the master said, look, you guys, I trust you. I'm investing in you. I believe in you. And that's why he also was able to look at them and say, look, I know that you can handle five, so that's what I'm going to give you. I know that you can handle two, so that's what I'm going to give you. And I know that you can only handle one, so that's what I'm going to give you. Now, just do the best with what it is that I give you. That's all he had to do. And in his prefrontal cortex, what he should have done is he should have said, the master trusted me. The master invested in me. The master believes in me. That's why the master gave me this bag. So I'm going to go for it. I'm, I'm going to do it. And hopefully the master will understand if things don't work out the way that I want it to or the way that he wants it to. But hopefully the master will understand that. But what happens, again, his prefrontal cortex alters his perspective on his master. And so here's the thing that we have to understand. When our prefrontal cortex is fueled by lies, then what can happen is the lies that we believe can begin to cause us to develop negative character traits that now we struggle with. So again, when we believe a lie, especially when that lie has had the opportunity to become rooted in our thinking process, and now that thinking process alters our logic, the result of that could be a negative character trait that we don't want. So this is a great thing for, for you to maybe consider to do, is or consider doing, is looking at your life and looking at what are some of the negative characteristics in your life that you wanna change, or people want you to change, or that you struggle with, or people have acknowledged that you struggle with. Maybe look at those, and then again, over the course of this whole series, one of the things that we've encouraged you to do is to identify the lie that you believe. Because it's very possible that maybe this character trait that you're really trying to change, and, and here's the thing, maybe what you tried to do is you've tried to change the character trait. You tried to not be so angry. You tried to be not so controlling. You tried to be not so lustful. You tried to be not so manipulative. You tried to be not so, I mean, you could go through the list of whatever the negative character trait might be. You've tried to change it, but you continue to fall back into whatever habit it is that you try. And so then what you do is you tell yourself, I, I can't change this. I can't overcome it. I'm stuck. And, and maybe, just maybe, if you begin to look at your character trait, and just ask yourself, what is the lie that I believe that fuels that character trait? Then what you could do is again, expose that lie to truth. And then exposing that lie to truth, you actually begin to alter your prefrontal cortex and the logic center of your brain to be rooted in truth, which then begins to change the way that you react, and the way that you respond. Thanks, Ken, for giving me that. But, but how do I change it? Like, like, what's the solution? How do I go about 
doing what is necessary for me to be able to see myself overcome. And I love this because in his book, in Winning the War in Your Mind, and again, just let me say this real quick because I don't think I said it before. Winning the War in Your Mind is a book written by a guy named Craig Rochelle. I read the book back in mid-June, and it inspired me, so I decided to do a sermon series based upon the book. And I thought this could really bless our church in a lot of ways. And it really challenged me to examine my own thinking, to look at my own fears, my own doubts, my own loneliness, to, to really look at those things and see how those things can fuel the negative traits that I want. But then here's what Craig talks about in the book, is he says that if you really want to begin to change the way that your amygdala hits and your prefrontal cortex and begin to rewire it and, and alter, or alter it in a way that is based on truth, well, the best way to do that is to focus on the fact that God is present. See, here's the power of prayer. And that's what he really emphasizes is, is pray, 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 pray. Now, now, why is prayer so important? It's because here's the thing. is when you don't think God is present, you don't pray. Let me say that again. When you don't think God is present, when you don't think God cares, when you don't think God is invested in you, when you don't think God is walking with you, when you don't think God is involved, you don't pray. And when you don't pray, then what you do is you give ample room for the lie to, that you believe to begin to continue to manifest itself, to become more deeply rooted in your prefrontal cortex. And the result of that is it continues to further alter your character trait in a way that moves in a negative direction. So this is why making a commitment to practice prayer is so important. I, I love that there's a story that I just really, really love. It's in Matthew chapter 20, verses 29 through 33. It says, as Jesus and the disciples left the town of Jericho, a large crowd followed behind. Two blind men were sitting beside the road. When they heard that Jesus was coming that way, they began shouting, Lord Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on us. Be quiet. Shh, 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 shh. Be quiet. The crowd yelled at them. Be quiet. Shut your mouth. <laughs> the crowd yelled at them. But they only shouted louder. Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. And it says, when Jesus heard them, he stopped and called what do you want me to do for you? He stopped and called. What do you want me to do for you? Lord, they said, we want to see. It says Jesus felt sorry for them and touched their eyes. Instantly, they could see. Then they followed him. Now, why is this story so important? Because this story really helps us to understand an, an element that is so vital if we are going to be successful in living the life that God has called us to live. If we're going to be able to successfully wire, rewire our prefrontal cortex, 
then what we need to do is recognize what these two blind men recognized. What did they recognize? Like, this is our chance. This is our chance. This is our opportunity. This is our opportunity for Jesus to heal us. And so they began to scream. And they screamed as though their life depended on it. And then they were told by the crowd, shut your mouth, Shh, be quiet, be quiet. And it says, <laughs> they scream louder. Like, you're not going to stop me from getting this opportunity. You're not. You're not. And do you know why I think they screamed louder? Because they said the crowd yelled at them. So I think what they were doing is I think they were screaming over the volume of the crowd to make sure that they could be heard by Jesus. So here's the thing that you have to realize. When you allow your lie to alter your prefrontal cortex, here's what that lie also tells you. That lie also tells you, shh, be quiet. Don't bother the master. Don't bother Jesus. And what you have to do is take on the same mentality as those two blind men and, and lean into Jesus that much more. Scream out for God that much more. Pray as though your life depends on it. Because it does. Now, I'm not talking about your life depends on it in the sense that you're going to die. I'm not, I'm not talking about in that way. But the quality of your life, your ability to break through this negative character trait as a result of a lie believed by your prefrontal cortex is dependent. And, and what you have to do is you have to begin to scream out so that and as you're doing that, here's what you're doing, is you are choosing now to begin to, to alter the prefrontal cortex and beginning to drown out the lies. And you're embracing this one simple truth that if I'm going to change, it's because of Jesus. He is the one that makes that possible. So, so here's what I want to do. Is I, I just want to give us a, a few illustrations. Let's say your prefrontal cortex has been altered so that your logic is driven by fear. Because here's the thing. Sometimes we may look at certain people and think, dude, what were you thinking? Like, why did you choose to do that? And, and haven't you done that with yourself? When people say, well, what were you thinking? I don't know. I don't know what I was thinking. And you legitimately mean that. Like, I don't know what I was thinking. Well, here's the thing. The longer that you believe a lie in your prefrontal cortex, the more that lie becomes truth, the more that lie becomes a norm. And the result of that is that you find yourself acting in ways that you don't understand. Because it's such a natural part of your thought process. So let's say, for example, your prefrontal cortex has learned to be driven by fear. And so maybe your fear is, man, I may not have enough to be able to take care of my needs. Let's, let's do that one. I don't have enough to be able to take care of my needs. So here are the ways where your prefrontal cortex may move you to begin to develop a negative character trait. Stealing. If I don't have enough 
to take care of what I need, then stealing becomes an option. Or hoarding. I, I want to make sure that if one day something just happens to happen, that I, I have exactly what it is that I need. I, I don't know when I'll need it, but I'm going to put this push button can opener thing that I have no idea how it works. I'm putting that in my closet because I don't know when I'm going to need it. And I just made that up off the top of my head, which it probably sounded like I just did. You know, we, we, we go out and we just try to hoard all these things. And the, the idea behind it is I, I want to hoard it just in case I need it. Why? And you might not realize it, but you know what it is? It's the fear of not having enough. And maybe that fear started because you were in a circumstance with your family where you needed something and you didn't have it and your family was not able to provide it. So now, because it's driven by this fear, this fear of not having enough, or it can manifest in this way because not all negative traits are necessarily negative. <laughs> Wait, what, Ken? what did you just say? <laughs> Let me say that again because that does sound confusing, huh? But not, not all negative traits are necessarily negative. And here's what I mean by that. You work hard. I mean, you work super hard because you want to make sure that you have the money necessary to be able to take care of your family. So you work and you work and you work and you work. Now, is working something that's negative? No. However, if out of that you're, you're working because of being afraid, then what that may manifest itself into being is I'm too busy to go to my kids' games. I'm too busy to come home and eat dinner. I'm too busy. So then what happens is the work, although it's not a negative trait, it begins to result in negative outcomes. And it's all driven by what? The fear of not having enough. So maybe you fear the loss of control. And, and so the result of that is you try to control everything around you. And, and so because of the fear of losing control, and who knows, who knows what happened in your circumstance, in your family or in your life, maybe you had something that, you, that happened that you could not control. And it's built this fear where what you try to do is you try to control everything. And, and so what happens is you see everyone as a potential threat to your control. So that means that you can come off as standoffish. Or, or maybe because you fear loss of control, you become manipulative and, and try to work things out. Or maybe because of a loss, you fear a loss of control is you tend to overreact to certain things. Or I've also seen it where people give into lust, pornography, because I may not be able to control the things around me, but I can control what I lust about. So I'll take control that way. Or maybe you have the negative character trait of insecurity. And, and how does that manifest itself? Sometimes insecurity manifests itself as arrogance and pride. Or maybe there's the flip side of that. There's false humility. I'm no good. I suck. I'll never be any good. We go that route. Or because of insecurity, Again, we turn to stuff. It could be sometimes we fear not having enough. Maybe we're just insecure and we define ourselves by our stuff. I define myself. If I have the iPhone 13 Max, then I feel good. 
if I have the latest car, I feel good. So we began to characterize ourselves by having stuff. Or maybe insecurity can manifest itself as religious judgment. Here's what I found. Some of the people who are the most judgmental also tend to be the most insecure. If somebody tells you, like, man, you are so judgmental, maybe ask yourself, are there ways where I'm insecure? And so I try to mask it by looking as though I have it all together when really you don't. Sometimes insecurity is this, is God saying, hey, you need to work on this area of your life, but you don't. And you say, but I'm putting it, I'm putting it, God, I am putting it into your hands. I've seen some people do that. God, I am putting it into your hands. Really, they're insecure about doing what they need to do to fix things. So God, I'm, I'm putting getting a job into your hands when really I'm insecure about going out and putting in job applications because I'm afraid of being rejected. So I'm, God, I'm putting it into your hands. And then when it works out where I don't get a job, then it's God, why didn't you give me a job? So these are examples of ways in which our prefrontal cortex can cause us to believe lies. So this is why it's so good. I, I love what it says in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. It says, and it is impossible to please God without faith. Anyone who wants to come to him must believe that God exists and that he rewards those who sincerely seek him. Must believe that God exists. Here's what I mean by believing that God exists. It's a belief where you act on it. I, I believe that God exists. For example, I believe that the stool that I am sitting on exists. So what happened? I put all my weight on that stool because I'm confident it can, it, it, it can, it can handle me. I'm confident of that. Why? Because I've sat on this stool before. But when I look at that, that helps me to know that that's what real faith looks like. That's what that belief looks like, is that I am willing to lean on him, trusting in him. So prayer is choosing to trust the power and the promises of God. That's what you're doing when you pray. You are choosing to trust the power and promises of God. So here's what we're going to encourage you to do. Stan talked about this on Sunday. I thought this was a great idea, and I just want to dig into it more just in case you weren't here on Sunday. But how do you begin to change your prefrontal cortex? Learn how to depend on him. And so here's what you want to do, is you want to create a God box in your house. And basically what you do with your God box is if there's something that concerns you, you write down, you write it down, whatever it is, concern about work, promotion, tasks, whatever it may be, concern about my kids, their grades, their attitude, whatever. You just go through and you create that. And then what you do is you take that and you put that in the God box. And literally by putting it in the God box, what it symbolizes is you're saying, God, I'm praying about this and I'm placing it in your hands. Then here's the deal is when you start to get worried or stressed out about whatever it is that you put in the box, go back and take it out of the box and literally say, God, I don't trust you with this. I'm going to handle it 
myself. Now you may think, well, Ken, that sounds ridiculous. <laughs> but you know what it does? Is by doing that physical step, it helps you to realize like, wait, like I would never, I would never say that to God. What happens, and what we don't realize that we're doing, is when we give things to God and then we take it back from God, basically what we're doing is we're allowing our prefrontal cortex to continue to hold onto the lie. So what happens is by putting it in the box and saying, no, I'm gonna leave it in the box, I'm gonna leave it in the box, I'm gonna leave it in the box, think about it, I'm gonna leave it in the box, God, I'm gonna hand it over to you, I'm gonna hand it over to you, I'm gonna hand it over to you, I'm gonna trust you with it. Really what you're doing is you are rewiring your prefrontal cortex to say, God, you're trustworthy. God, you're dependable. God, you will be with me. God, you love me. God, you care for me. You care for me. And then here's what I want to encourage you to add in. I love what it says in Romans chapter 5, verse 3. It says, we can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials, for we know that they help us develop endurance. Wait, wait, we can rejoice? So here's what I want to, I want to encourage you that when you put something in the God box, find a song that is one that worships and celebrates God. Maybe think about songs that you do at church. If you don't know the name of the song, go to your worship leader and just ask, hey, what's the name of that song? And then what you do is put it on your Spotify and create maybe a playlist that has that song on it. Then, whenever you face challenges, you put it in the God box and then you play that song and sing right along with it. A great one, Lord Daigle's, I will trust in you. I mean, it's, it's a great one. But we, you can go through the list. There's another song, Your Promises Never Fail great one. Uh, there's a song by Elevation Worship called Your Promises. I can go through the list of just some of, some of the songs that I, that I turn to. Do It Again by Elevation Worship is another great one. I've seen you move. You've moved the mountains and I believe that you can do it again. I mean, just great songs. So, sorry, I got a little enthusiastic there, didn't I? I don't know what that note was. But here's what I've, what I've learned. When you want to hit something, the secret to hitting something powerfully is to hit through it. For example, in football, if you're going to tackle someone, they don't tell you just to stop and hit. They tell you to tackle through them. Or if you're going to, if you're in boxing, if you're going to punch something, you don't just stop when you make the connection, you punch all the way through. Soccer, if you are going to kick the ball, you don't stop your foot when you make contact with the ball or golf. You don't stop the club when you make contact with the ball. You swing through with your foot. You swing through. You swing through. You follow through. Basketball, uh, when you're shooting the ball, you don't stop when the ball leaves your hand. You follow through your shot, and you're more likely to make the shot than not. So, so here's what I'm saying by all that. Here's what you're practicing, is you're practicing your follow through. You're saying, that God, here's what I'm going to do, is, is I'm not going to allow the situation to stop me. And so what I'm going to do is I'm not going to just stop at this situation. I'm going to follow through. So God, I'm not just going to give it to you. I'm going to worship you. God, I'm not going to just put it into your hands. I'm going to worship and adore you. So you 
not only are you giving God the problem, you're worshiping God through the process. Worship and prayer will change your prefrontal cortex to begin to believe in the truth, and it will give God the opportunity to continue to prove himself to you. Now, I, I do want to have this caveat. I've said this before. It doesn't necessarily mean that everything's going to work out the way that we want it to you when we hand it to him. But here's what we can do is we can say, God, I trust in you. I trust in you. I trust in you. I trust in you. I trust that you know what is best. I trust that you know what is best. I trust that you know what is best. And continue to build that. Make that your mantra. I trust in you. I trust that you know what is best. Allow that to change the way that you think. And here's what will happen. Those negative character traits that you want to work on will begin to change. Find declarations that you can make and hold on to. I'll give you an example. This is actually in the notes section of my phone. And this is something that I did as a result of this series. And I read it every day. Because I, here's the, here's the thing. My natural negative characteristic right now is to fall into shame. If I make mistakes, shame. And then I begin to build on that mistake because, of course, with shame, it gets worse. What I do is I carry this declaration, and I've been reading it every day. I am not my past. I am not what I did. I am who God says I am. He says I am forgiven. He says I am redeemed or healed. He says I am free. So I'm, I've been going over that and over that and over that. Find something like that that will help you to rewire the prefrontal cortex of your brain. Well, I hope that this series has been an encouragement to you. I really do hope that it has uplifted you. This series has really inspired me. So next week, we're actually beginning a brand new series called Next Level Love. And here's what we're looking at. What I found through COVID, and you may have found this as well, we don't relate very well to each other. <laughs> and I've seen COVID reveal the way that we really think about people. It has revealed sometimes the challenge that we have in our relationships. It has revealed the deficits in our marriage. So how do we turn that around? And so really what we're going to do is we're going to talk about next level love. And really what we're looking at is having next level, next level, <laughs> next level relationships. So, so we're going to talk about how I relate to my wife better, how I relate to friends better. If you're a wife, how you relate to your husband better, how do you relate to your friends better? How do you relate to people in your life? How do you relate to your business partner better? Are there things that we could do that we could learn that we can implement into our lives that will help us be able to relate to one another better? Again, encounters about three things. Love up. Let's fall madly and passionately in love with God. Love out. Let's take the love that we have for him and spread that to others. Build up others and love in. As we're loving God and as we're loving others, we'll find more things that we love about ourselves. Well, take care. God bless you. And like I said before, don't miss this coming Sunday as well as next week's podcast. God bless you. Thank you so much for joining us for the Encounter Community Church podcast. If you could do us a favor, whatever service it is that you're listening to this podcast on, please rate and review us. If there's anything that we can do better, please let us know. But by rating and review, it also make our podcast easier for others to be able to find. If you would like to support us at Encounter financially with what it is that we're doing to make a difference in our community, 
whether it's the mobile food bank, whether serving at North High School, or making a difference, again, in our community, feel free to head over to our website, encountercommunity.church, click the link that says online giving. Please subscribe to our YouTube channel, that way when we post new live streams or new vlogs, you'll be updated. As well as please head over to Facebook and like our page, that way when we post new podcasts, again, new vlogs, new live streams, or have church events, you'll be updated and know what's going on here at Encounter. As we said before, thank you so much. We're so glad to have you with us, and we look forward to you being a part of the podcast next week. <laughs>